How is he? Nothing that won't heal. I'm so sorry, Padme. I, I, I don't know what came over me. What's done is done. It's just when I saw you about to kiss him. And I regret that. But it was not what you thought. And you must know I don't care for Clovis. Don't you? I've told you why I'm doing this. But still, you refuse to accept it. You could have killed him, Anakin. I know. This marriage is not a marriage, Anakin. If there isn't any trust. We said at the beginning that this could be a terrible mistake. What exactly are you saying? That other people who are married have everything that we don't. Everything that we won't. We live in secret, Anakin. Like it or not, our relationship is built on lies and deception. No relationship can survive that. I know I went too far. It's just... It's just something inside me snapped. I don't know who's in there sometimes. I just know that I'm not happy anymore. I don't feel safe. But Padme... I think it's best if we don't see each other anymore. At least not for a while. I'm sorry, Anakin. Um... I'm sorry, too. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Clone Wars Strikes Back. This is the podcast where we go back and celebrate the six-year history. Almost seven years, really, at this point, when you look at some of the stuff that is still managing to come out from Star Wars The Clone Wars. That's right, the Emmy Award-winning animated series. We've got a great show. We're talking about one of those episodes that you kind of feel like you need an economics degree to understand parts of it, but can't complain. It's still some really interesting stuff, provides some great backstory and insight into our favorite characters. We are, of course, talking about the Clovis arc from Season 6, The Lost Missions. We really are at the end. We're really, we're getting to the end of the, sh- end of the, sh- end of the show. I feel sad. I feel sad every week now. We're really at the end. But I shouldn't feel sad because we've got so much good stuff left to talk about. And we've got a great show coming up for you. Introductions are in order if you're new to the show. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as he always does, is my good friend and co-host, the award-winning Kieran Duggan. Good evening, or good morning, good afternoon, whatever time zone you're listening to, or where you are listening this to this podcast. It's uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one, Dominic, if I'm being honest, because... As you say, it is kind of the end is nigh, so to speak. But this is one of those arcs that really should have aired in season five. And in a way, there's even more sentimental value to it when when you get to hear some old voices once again, actually. Namely, of course, the the recently deceased Ian Abercrombie. And I, I think these are some really good episodes. So... Um, I'm really looking forward to talking about this with yourself and 
our special guest. Yes, and also joining us this week uh, from Twin Suns Outpost and Twin Suns Transmission, we've got Eric Pfeiffer. Eric, welcome to the Clone Wars Strikes Back, man. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm happy to be here, and uh, thanks for inviting me on the show. Yeah, yeah, and so... It- before we get into the episode, why don't you let people know what uh, what Twin Suns Outpost is? And you were telling us before the show, you've actually got an event coming up. Yeah, so, you know, I, I used to be a personal trainer, and uh, there's not a whole lot of Star Wars in that field. <laughs> so I feel like uh, – I felt like I, I was being I was being drawn to something else, you know. Um, so I started up what's called Twin Suns Outpost, and – I'm the owner and I run it and uh, it's basically a website where you can look for really rare, one-of-a-kind Star Wars artwork. We've got everything from digital art pieces to canvas paintings to pencil sketches, uh, all sorts of different things. Um, we're working on some pendants with little charms, necklaces type things, uh, you know, all sorts of great stuff. So uh, it's a very young business, but it's a business that's it's, it's, it's on the rise. So um, yeah. we're doing Chicago Comic Con this upcoming weekend. So, you know, hopefully that'll be good for us. Yeah, absolutely. And if you guys haven't gone and checked out his stuff, you really have to. There's some really cool art there uh, that that I think when you see it, you'll want to have it. You'll want to have it. So you definitely want to check that out. Now, before we get into uh, the Clone Wars and specifically the Clovis arc, I want to ask you guys something. If you've seen something, have you guys seen the new trailer for the Disney Infinity uh, Twilight of the Republic uh, video game that's coming out? I personally haven't seen it. Okay. Uh, I'm definitely interested in the Infinity stuff, though, so I need to go check that out. Yeah, Karen, have you seen it? I have indeed, and if if you want to check whether I actually have article has been posted on the star wars underworld under my name at least someone else could have wrote it but you know now and then i ask people to put the names down for me no i I watched the trailer it's it looks very very good i have to say the animation quality in terms of the gaming content always impresses me it's it's always superb and the emphasis here on clone wars interestingly enough um particularly a lot of our iconic bad guy characters, um, Darth Maul and Cad Bane in particular, feature very heavily in this trailer. It's quite exciting, isn't it? I, yeah. I expect have you seen it then, Dominic. Yeah, this well, is why you're bringing it up. Well, I, I wanted to bring it up because I, I saw it when – I don't know if they debuted it at D23 or they were just re-airing it during the Disney Interactive panel on Sunday. But I wasn't really paying attention to it when they first started playing it. I was trying to get some some Instagrams up, some tweets out, mostly because, well, Disney Infinity is not really my thing. But just hearing it and just sort of catching some of the visuals out of the corner of my eye, all of a sudden I was hooked on it. And I, I desperately want to play this game now because it feels like Clone Wars. It really does. The The visual style of it is very similar to Clone Wars. And they've got the voice cast back, more or less, it seems. And and to me, it was it was kind of a, a shocking moment of, wow, I, I almost feel like I'm watching the trailer for Clone Wars Season 7. And it was almost a, a, a bit of a, a melancholic moment, while also a really exciting one. Because, you know, it's, oh, wow, Clone Wars. Clone Wars is back, but it's not actually. In but it, it actually makes me really want to get that game now. And, and they gave away some, some free 
uh, <laughs> some free uh, st- uh, characters at the at D23. Uh, so I, I, I will probably be picking that game up now. But so Twilight of the Republic, if you haven't seen it, you definitely have to check it out. We may throw the, the audio in at, at the end of, of this episode so you can hear it at the, at the very least. And if you just hear the audio, I defy you not to think that is Clone Wars Season 7. Like, it feels like the tra- like we should be doing a full trailer analysis of it. Um, but not really because it's, it's Disney Infinity and not actual Clone Wars, unfortunately. But I, I would recommend, uh, I recommend everybody check it out, and I, for one, will definitely be picking up at least that version of the game now because it hooked me. All right. Well, oh, I, don't, I don't know if either of you guys have uh, either of you guys were at Star Wars Weekends, but they had at least the second half of the Star Wars Weekends. They had uh, this area of the park where you could actually go play oh, yeah? uh, the Star Wars Infinity game, and they had Ahsoka on there. You could switch between the Clone Wars original trilogy. Uh, but I definitely play in the Clone Wars aspects of it with Ahsoka. I mean, it, it, it looked like you were watching the show almost. It looks really, really good. Yeah. And that's, that's what's really so cool about it is it's almost the show is almost kind of living on through this game because they've got the, it seems at least they've got the cast back and the animation style is, is very similar. You know, if, if you're, if you're not paying, paying close attention, you could almost, almost confuse the two. Right. Um, but let's let's get into these episodes. We're here to discuss the the trilogy of the the rise and fall and redemption, maybe kinda of Rush Clovis. So, Kieran, do you have the episode descriptions for us this week? I do indeed, Dominic. And you said it well at the beginning of the show. I think you kind of need an economics degree to get these episodes. So bear in mind how, how the synopses will sound for these particular episodes. <laughs> um, episode one of this three-part arc, actually. Nice nice to change it up a little bit. An old friend. While on Scipio to fund a mercy mission, Padme Amidala is called upon by an old friend, Rush Clovis, to help uncover corruption in the banking clan. They must evade the bounty hunter Embo to escape the planet with the incriminating information. Second episode is entitled The Rise of Clovis. Back on Coruscant, Clovis, known traitor of the Republic, makes a dubious deal which puts him at the head of the banking clan. Anakin's increasing distrust and hatred of Clovis strains his relationship with Padme to breaking point. And the final episode in this three-part arc is named Crisis at the Heart. After making a deal with Count Dooku to resuscitate the ailing banking clan, Clovis finds himself a pawn in Dooku's designs. Clovis has brought the war to Scipio, forcing the Republic to intervene. Yeah, so definitely, these are definitely those episodes that get into sort of the the machinations behind the war and not so much the war itself. And so there are three main things we're going to focus on, and that is Palpatine, Palpatine Sidious in these episodes, uh, Rush Clovis, and of course Anakin and Padme's relationship. But before we get into that, we'll just start with our initial impressions of this arc and if they've changed since, well, you know, it was, it was, it was interesting back at the beginning of the show. Have, have your impressions changed since 2008? Now it's like, have they changed since 2013? Hasn't been that long, but uh, we'll still, we'll still put it out there. So Eric, overall, generally, what do you think? What did you think of the Clovis trilogy and, and has your opinion of it changed uh, since you first saw it? Well, first of all, I love Anakin Skywalker. So any episodes with Anakin just 
increase the the enjoyment factor for me. Um, and these episodes have a lot of a lot of great characters. Anakin, I love Embo. I actually named my dog Embo after oh, this nice. character. So <laughs> nice. um, Embo is is a great character in my opinion. Um, these episodes, it kind of had a different feel for me as far as Clone Wars. I mean, there's no, you know, there's no uh, like epic scale, massive battles or anything mm-hmm. like that. But um, it's still nice to see how the war takes place on certain fronts in certain aspects, you know, because it's not all about the weapons. It's about the money and, you know, power. Um, And so it's cool to see the transition of power and cool to see how characters evolve in this arc um, as, as characters in the Clone Wars. And, you know, I think I, I actually enjoy this episode more now than I did when it first aired. Um, and I don't know if that's the same for you two, but for me, I definitely enjoy it more now. Yeah, I think a lot of these episodes do have a, a high rewatch value, uh, especially when you know where it's going. And we'll get into that specifically with the Palpatine stuff. Uh, but Kieran, how about you? Uh, your initial impressions of the Clovis arc? The initial impressions of the Clovis arc, I was extremely satisfied with the episodes that were released by the Clone Wars team. So the Clovis arc, it wasn't up there with necessarily the Order 66 arc or the Yoda arc in the bonus content. But if if this was being aired in Season 5 or in any of the other previous seasons that aired on Cartoon Network, I'd see this as a very interesting arc. I think there's a lot of intriguing stuff, particularly the Palpatine stuff. That's obviously what we'll get into a little bit in later in this round table um but as has been touched upon already the anakin and padme relationship to think that it was extremely close to to completely collapsing and and in a way they, they kind of took a break from from their relationship and um i mean who knows if if this break was a little bit longer how that really would have uh fed into anakin's character whether that would have led to uh, and I, I guess it could have acted as a catalyst for him falling to the dark side. And, and then Rush Clovis, um, m- maybe, I, I don't know if I'm in a minority here, but I, I really couldn't really care for his character, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Uh, when he was put as head of the banking clan, it was like, yeah, y- you are clearly a pawn in this whole saga here for... Um, the second time, if I'm being honest, because the last time we saw Rush Clovis, he, he was also a pawn, um, or he was at least used as a ploy by the Jedi to find out and uncover separatist secrets, the droid foundries and all of that stuff. So, yeah, Rush Clovis, oof, um, I'm, I'm not going to be disappointed to see the end of him. I, I really don't. I really hope he doesn't come back as a cyborg or something because I know <laughs> yeah, people like to bring characters back. The He's one trench I treatment. But, <laughs> but nevertheless, I um, on initial viewing, I thought these were fantastic episodes, and on the rewatch, um, I think they were better because you really get to you have the value of hindsight there, where you can watch these episodes again and 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 just work out the machinations of Darth Sidious and how he's managed to orchestrate this whole ploy really to, to get control of the banks. And, um, 
yeah, it's it's absolutely fascinating to watch. But what about you, Dominic? Your initial impressions and have they evolved over time? Yeah, with these episodes, I think they're good episodes. I, I definitely wouldn't put them among my favorites, but I do think they have a, have an important place. Uh, I think they elaborate on some stuff that was that wasn't fully developed in the prequel trilogy, specifically the the Palpatine and the Anakin Padme stuff. I think we we get to explore some of that more in depth, and I'm glad they took the time to do that, especially with Palpatine. Uh, but also Anakin and Padme. And, uh, you know, I'm with you. Clo- Clovis was never my favorite character. Uh, he, he, you know, of all the characters they were bringing back, there was kind of a, well, why that guy feeling to him? But then again, I thought that, I felt that way about Hondo, and Hondo turned out to be great. I'm not saying Rush Clovis is the new Hondo, but, you know, he was, he was, I'm glad they made some changes to his character for this time around. And I think it added, he did add something to the story. And they, they did manage to make him into a bit of a sympathetic character. But let, let's jump into... But Dominic, yeah. just to jump in Go there, you said it. the new Hondo. Are, are you no. presuming that he'll turn up in Rebels like <laughs> Hondo does? <laughs> no, no, I, I think he is dead. I think he is dead, dead, dead. I don't think we'll be seeing him back anytime soon. But then, didn't think we'd see Darth Maul back. Didn't, didn't think we'd see uh, Echo back. Didn't think we'd see trench back and they they always bring back they always come back um i wonder i wonder if they brought clovis in purposely to create that issue for anakin and padme's relationship kind of to spice things up a little bit between them um you know because he's obviously somebody that anakin doesn't really enjoy too much yeah yeah i think you're you're definitely onto something there so we'll start with the anakin padme stuff I think you're definitely onto onto it there that he does create that tension. You know, we've always looked at the Anakin Padme relationship as being a bit odd, a bit awkward, not quite uh, being a full blown love story, not even being up to the same level as as Han and Leia. And so I think it was good to see something uh, be brought in that really tested that and. Basically, I'll, I'll throw this to you, Karen. Do you think? Do you think? Do you think it's important one that we see that relationship tested, and and how do you think they did with it? Of course, it's important to see the relationship tested. Eric is completely right there. In spite of my own personal views of Rush Clovis, he is important to developing the Anakin and Padme story arc. The purpose of Rush Clovis is is quite simple. There, he is really a tool to create friction within the relationship of those two characters. And I think it does work very well. Um, The iconic scene of this particular arc, for example, is, of course, in the middle of the second episode, the massive confrontation between Rush Clovis and Anakin, where Rush Clovis goes in for the kiss and Anakin walks in, sees them, and then the first thing he does is force choke him. I mean, already you can see the impact that Rush Clovis has had on that relationship. It's just generating within Anakin these feelings of anger and hatred and the emotions that, of course, lead on to uh, the path of falling to the dark side. So you can really see how Rush Clovis has had an impact on this particular relationship. And... 
Anakin and, and Padme going for a rocky patch, it's it's got to be necessary, really. Uh, Padme makes a mention of it in the in the arc. Um, their relationship was forged in secrecy. It's mm-hmm. been based as this re- really covert and under wraps sort of operation almost where um, these two characters have been living a lie um, this whole time and it's going to get to you particularly in wartime scenario when the stakes are raised um, which which it is which it has been done in this particular arc because this is you know, corruption spreading to the banks which could impact the entire war effort so um, it's it was good to see the mixture of uh, focusing on the financial side and 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 the big war storyline, but also the the inter- intricacies of the relationship between Anakin and Padme, which are always fascinating. So, in, it, in brief abridgment, there, yeah, Rush Clovis he played his part well. Um, if it, if the main purpose of his character was to create friction and um, antipathy between Anakin and Padme, then it certainly worked. Yeah, he, he definitely does create that, and it makes you want. Kieran, I think we're getting the echo again. <laughs> well, the good old echo. Can, can you hear well, that, I Eric? At which point it was? Can you hear that? Oh, seems to be. No, it's gone now. It's gone. Yeah, it seems to be gone now, more or less. That's all right. Good job we recorded. Uh, <laughs> twenty minutes or so. Yeah, twenty minutes. Oh well, or so. I just finished my thing, so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Any, anyway. Um, so, Eric, we, we see, you know, Clovis coming in and he creates all this tension as Kieran was just discussing. But with the Anakin Padme relationship, it definitely seems like something where you can understand why Anakin is involved in it, why Anakin is invested in it. He's more or less obsessed with Padme. He She is the only thing that is ever on his mind. But you begin to wonder why Padme is so invested in this relationship, why she stays in it, because – I mean she's no, she knows he's murdered Tuscan children. She, she knows about a lot of the horrible things that she, he's done and in this episode he witness, – she witnesses him just beating the crap out of Clovis for – this, uh, you know, because of, you know, he tried to kiss her, but you know, there was this whole huge, massive fight and she just saw how angry Anakin got and he was using the force to choke him and it was just a horrible, horrible situation for everybody. So, and yet at the end of the episode, despite sort of saying we should take a break or possibly even call things off entirely, she still winds up back with him. What, what is it about these two that constantly brings them back together? Because it can't really – it doesn't seem to me that it's true love. It seems to be something a little bit more unhealthy. Yeah, I think I think one thing, first of all, is that – first of all, in, in Anakin's mind, I mean from season – what was that? Two, we saw Clovis mm-hmm. for the first time. Yeah. Um, you know, so this is, this, is, this is not the first time that this has happened. 
Um, you know, so I think for Anakin, that makes it a little bit more of a problem for him because he, he knows their past. He knows what's happened before. Um, and actually Padme, I believe in, in those early episodes had to apologize to Anakin for making him doubt her. And, uh, you know, I think, I, I do think they love each other. I think it's something that is, it's hard to kind of comprehend because none of us have been in, in their situation. Sure. But, you know, I think, I don't know, for Padme, I think, you know, they always say duty comes first, especially in wartime. I think she was honestly just trying to get the job done. And I think that Anakin had more of emotions in it. And maybe if it was different, maybe if Anakin had somebody that was all up in his business, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe Padme would be, you know, doing some something similar to Anakin. I don't know. But, um, you know, it's it's... It's hard. It's hard to say. I mean, at this point in time, Anakin had not killed the younglings yet. Um, you know, so he's he killed the Tuscans, and and he told her about that, and she obviously saw how that affected him. He was, you know, crying and and stuff. But um, you know, that's, that's that's a tough question. Why does Padme stay? It's it's hard to say. Um, you know, but I think I think definitely for Anakin, it was it was it was something very very hard for him to go through, and in this arc, uh, even Obi Wan can tell mm-hmm. that there's something more going on between Anakin and Padme. There's you know there's a there's a, a hatred aura that's kind of uh, around surrounding Anakin when you know people even mention his name. So it's. It's obviously something that deeply, deeply affects Anakin. And, you know, if the positions are switched, maybe it would affect Padme too. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's my theory on it. Is that Anakin and Padme's relationship seems to thrive on conflict. And I don't mean conflict between the two of them. I mean conflict around them. You, you look at episode two and Anakin is, is you know, he's pushing Padme to, to be in this relationship with him. And she is... You know, she's the only one who's being rational. And, you know, you get into all the dialogue about Anakin. You know, you're asking me to be rational. That's something I cannot do. Uh, you know, there, <laughs> there, there's that, there's that aspect of it. And she's being, she's the one that's being rational. She's thinking about this. She's thinking straight. And it's only when they are moments away from their supposed death that she finally declares her love for him. And it could have very well have been just a heat of the moment type thing. And, you know, obviously they had greater feelings for each other than just the heat of the moment, but they, they did kind of begin their relationship in the battle of Geonosis, in this like massive, insane conflict. And if you look at this episode, when things are pretty calm, when things are kind of domestic almost, and it's just a matter of, you know, Padme's working on something and Anakin's off doing his own thing. And, you know, they're kind of just living almost normal lives. You know, one of them is not in the middle of a war. One of them is not, you know, being shot at all the time. They're just kind of going about daily routines, doing paperwork, that sort of thing, is when everything falls apart. And Anakin... And Padme, Padme sort of kind of snaps out of it and sort of goes, okay, something is wrong here. We need to back off. I need to really think about this if I really want to be a part of this relationship. And it's at the, it's at the end of the episode when there is that battle on Scipio and Anakin is able to save her life in this, this massive, well, maybe not massive, but this big conflict that's all around them. 
that they decide to wind up back together. And it's almost like, you know, they, they do care about each other, but they don't know how to exist without this war going on around them. And, you know, that's something that we kind of talk about with the clones a lot. Um, you know, how will they exist when the war is not there? But you kind of have to wonder, had Anakin not turned to the dark side, how could they have existed without this, this war that seemed that for as much damage as it was doing to the general public was seemed to be more or less the only thing keeping them together. Um, but so, so what do you guys think of that theory? Am I, am I on crack or, or have I got, or do you think, <laughs> do you think there's something there? Well, I, I think I think there's something there. Um, I, I honestly had not even thought about that, but that's, that's a very good point. I also think too that if you look at Anakin and Padme from the beginning of their lives, mm. um, you know, Anakin had grown up with one person really in his life, and that was his mother. Yeah, um, he had some friends, but you know, from the moment he met Padme, all he could think about was Padme. Yeah, you know, that's all that was on his mind. And with Padme, as we see in episode two, she even talks about, you know, she had other boyfriends or other crushes and stuff. So she kind of, she kind of grew up, uh, you know, normal, normal. And, <laughs> yeah. and Anakin did not, you know. So I feel like Anakin's feelings for Padme were much greater than, and maybe he just got way more just attached and cling clingy to her. Uh, but I do think, you know, you're, you're onto a good point. I, I don't know how that would go if there was not explosions around them. Yeah. It's a very good point there. And Anakin has always been jealous of, of Padme and, and her interaction with other men. Just recall that scene in episode two when they're in the fields and Padme's talking about Pablo and he's like, I don't want to talk about that anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he, just, he doesn't like it when Anakin starts talking about – when Padme starts talking about her relationships. Um, and for Rush Clovis to be reintroduced into her life for the second time, bearing in mind they have had emotional ties in the past um, and they have been in a relationship, then of course it's going gonna, it's gonna to generate um, these feelings of real neediness, of um, jealousy, envy. And the only way Anakin ever seems to express that is through violence. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's obviously why Padme wanted the break. But as you said, Dominic, could their relationship survive post-war? I mean, they, they'd like to think it could. You know, Padme was talking about, well, we'll go on a lake on Naboo and we'll do this, we'll do that. Yeah, but I, I don't know. And, um, I will kind of question your theory, Eric, about the, this idea of love. I, I don't necessarily think that these two characters are in love with each other. I don't think it's the typical Han Solo, Leia-type love situation, and it, I don't think it's meant to be either. Um, I really do think that from Anakin's point of view, this is an obsession. Anakin just, in a way, likes the idea of of this relationship. I mean, he has grown so attached to her. And as far as Padme goes, I think she's attached to him in these dangerous situations because he's the protector. He's the one who's willing to look out for her. But I, you, you take that away, as you say, Dominic, you take that conflict away. And how, how well do they really know each other? I mean, could they sit down at the dinner scene and, you know, Anakin not cut up her food with a force. I don't know. I don't know what they talk about. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to consider. But um, when you talk about the, the Anakin-Padme relationship, I never like talking about 
about it in a way some people do when they criticize um, episode two for saying, oh, it was so uh, cringy to watch, or you know, the interaction between Anakin and Padme. But I generally think that was the purpose of it. I don't know about you two. I mean, yeah, do you I agree. think this relationship was ever meant to look healthy from the start? I don't think so. I, I think there always was something unhealthy about it. I, I definitely think that that was what they were going for. And I think you know a lot of the flaws that people see in the prequels, and this is a, a far bigger uh, topic, but I think it also it relates to this and also to one Mr. Jar Jar Binks who we'll be t- discussing on the next episode. Um, but I think you know, people looked at the prequels and they had a, an expectation for how things were, would go. And I feel like George, what George wanted to do was subvert those expectations to do things slightly differently or completely differently than what people wanted. And when they sort of saw it, they they were so caught up in well, this isn't what I wanted that they couldn't. Uh, appreciate the intricacies of what is actually there. And I think the fact that Anakin and Padme's relationship is cringeworthy is absolutely intentional, the same way that Jar Jar is supposed to be annoying. Um, and I, I, so I think you're definitely onto something. And I think you're right to call it an obsession. And, uh, you know, Eric, you brought it up earlier that, you know, Padme's had other relationships, whereas Anakin has been solely thinking about her. You know, he says to her in episode two, you're exactly the way I remember you in my dreams. So he's been dreaming about her. He's been thinking about her for 10 years. And you also mentioned that Obi-Wan, you know, Obi-Wan can tell something is up in these episodes. Did the Jedi Order kind of, is this another instance of the Jedi Order failing Anakin because they weren't able, because they saw that this was going on, but they weren't really able to help him. You know, Obi-Wan tries to help him, but he kind of beats around the bush. He doesn't want to just confront Anakin about it. There really should have, shouldn't, shouldn't the Jedi have found a way to talk about this with him, you know, say, okay, we're not going to expel you from the Jedi order. Uh, we just need, you know, you have to understand, you know, attachment is a, you know, attachment leads to jealousy, the shadow of greed that is yada, yada, yada. Um, that sort of thing in a, in a much more practical sense to him. So that he isn't just sitting there justifying it. Basically, uh, I'll throw this. I'll, I'll throw this to you, Eric. Um, do you think the Jedi could have done something more for Anakin than just kind of ignoring him and saying no attachments, no attachments? Is there something they could have done that could have prevented this obsession with Padme? Well, I, I don't know if there's any like one specific thing that the Council could have done, um, but I do have to say this. And I may be in the minority on this one as well, but I just love Anakin's character so much, so this is the way that I think. But um, Obi-Wan as a character, I like his character. I just don't think – like, for example, Anakin, if he's got something in his mind, he'll do it. You Mm -hmm. know, he's a very driven person. Obi-Wan, I feel like as a character, doesn't necessarily always stand up for what he believes. Yes. Uh, Like with uh, Ahsoka, you know, he was still on that, the council that basically stripped Ahsoka of her Padawan status. And even though he may not have believed it, he still sat up on that council and represented the Jedi order in that situation. Um, And I I feel like maybe with this situation with, with Obi-Wan kind of beating around the bush, I mean, maybe he could have gotten a little bit more involved in that, you you know god knows what that would have made anakin do but um you know i think it's it's an interesting thing i don't know if there's one specific thing that the council could have done i just think that maybe maybe they could have done, had obi-wan do something like uh the council had anakin do with palpatine sort of kind of be like a 
not a spy, but just kind of keep a closer eye on him than he maybe normally would have. Um, you know, but I think I think the key is Obi Wan. Anakin had a had a had a connection with Obi Wan, and I think if there was one person to kind of bring Anakin away from this obsession, it would have been Obi Wan, and I don't think he did that. He didn't do that very well. Yeah, I, I think you're definitely. I think you're 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 onto it there. I, I also think that really the they should have. This is something they should have and could have uh, dealt with when Anakin was a lot younger, when he was more impressionable. You know, mm-hmm. instead they just kind of let him, you know, sit in this dreamland where, you know, he was, obs- where this obsession grew out of. And that, that's where we wound up in episodes two and three is after having had him just sit there and think about her for 10 years, they probably right. could have done something in the interim there to try and get his mind onto other things, get him more into the Jedi way. But we know that the Jedi way in the prequel trilogy is very dogmatic. It's very by the book. There's not a lot of opportunity for dealing with individuals. You know, you have to, it's, you know, they have to go by a certain way and everybody has to, everybody has to be trained a certain way. And there's not really the opportunity to, to try something different with a specific case. And I also like what you're saying about Obi-Wan. And I feel like, I feel like Obi-Wan throughout the prequel trilogy kind of can tell that something is not right. He can tell that things aren't right and that there's something wrong here, but he can't figure it out. And I think that's interesting that you, the way you bring it up is it's almost like an inability to act. He's, he doesn't want to, you know, lash out and, and mess with the status quo, whereas Anakin is much more willing to do that. And I think we get a little bit of, of that in The Phantom Menace when Obi-Wan says to Qui-Gon, if you just follow the council, you'd, you'd be a master by now. You'd be on that. On the council. So you get a, a more of a sense of where Obi-Wan is coming from. He's less of a maverick than Qui-Gon or Anakin. But at the same time, he also recognizes that something is not right. Uh, Kieran, do you want to weigh in on, on Obi-Wan in, in the prequels and, and his, if there's something he could have done for Anakin, uh, to have helped avoid these situations? Yeah, I'll tell you what he could have done. He could have been like Qui-Gon Jinn. That would have been a good start, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> uh, genuinely, I one of the main uh, turning points in both Anakin and Obi-Wan's story arc is the death of Qui-Gon. And sometimes I feel that it's a little bit undervalued that some people just see him as this character that turned up in The Phantom Menace, was a Obi-Wan's master, but he got killed off. Uh, and Qui-Gon is such an important character, and I think he remains so for the rest of rest of the prequels and to an extent beyond that because of the role that he plays and particularly the Oda arc. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the thing is with Obi-Wan Kenobi, there's, there's always this paradox because you're right, Eric, that if Obi-Wan had done something a little bit more to help Anakin, if he'd been more supportive, been a bit more open to him um, with the Satine stuff, for example, um, then Anakin could have benefited from that. He could, he, would have appreciated the advice that was given. But at the same time, Anakin doesn't really like Obi-Wan either. Like, I mean, he does have this connection with him, but th- there's this jealousy, I think, with Obi-Wan. You know, in episode two, he's holding me back and, and all of this, um, you know, which culminates in episode three with him yelling um, while he's uh, in the lava, lost his legs and whatever, and he's saying, I hate you. Um, and there is this... This little bit in the subconscious of Anakin's mindset, which I don't know if it's never fully trusts Obi Wan, um, but, but 
I think it is not necessarily he trusts him because um, he believes he's holding him back. He believes he's not being taught everything. And, and later, or we'll come on to Envy, where uh, we talk about Rush Clovis in this arc, who he represents. He's the figure that Anakin is jealous of because um, of the um, interaction he has with Padme. And Obi-Wan becomes that in Episode 3. You know, Obi-Wan was here, he says, in, in the apartment. Um, and he becomes extremely jealous of Obi-Wan. So I, I don't know what you guys think about that then. Did, uh, perhaps I'm reading it a little bit wrong, but do you think there's always been this, this little bit of hatred or at least distrust between Anakin and Obi-Wan, primarily from Anakin's perspective? Yeah, I think Anakin has always, I think you're right, Anakin has always kind of, Anakin doesn't do well with authority. He he never has. He he he's always seen the Jedi as kind of against him. And even though Obi-Wan was trying to help him, he still fell into the same camp as Mace Windu and and this was sort of what you were saying, Eric, where he doesn't want to mess with the status quo. He doesn't want to change things up whereas Qui-Gon would have been more willing to to do do things differently, to try different things. And I think Anakin kind of resents that because you have to remember the Anakin's first interaction with the Jedi are them saying, no, he can't be trained. He can't be trained. They are robbing him of his dream. This is his dream life. This is the greatest thing that could have possibly happened to him, happened to him. He was freed from the, uh, freed from being a slave after winning this massive pod race and then taken away by a Jedi to learn the ways of the force. And there's Mace Windu saying he's too old. He's never, you know, Anakin, right away, he gets off on on the wrong foot with the Jedi Council and the Jedi Order. And as soon as Qui-Gon is taken out of the picture, he is not really ever replaced properly. And and Anakin never really gets that chance to, to bond with the Jedi or to be with somebody or to be with a Jedi who will not try and treat him like anybody else, but treat him like the special case that he is. And I don't mean that in like the, he's the chosen one kind of way, but more in the fact that he wasn't he didn't grow up at the temple he grew up on tatooine he grew up with his mother he 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 had friends and and droids and the pod racer and and all these different things that the the other jedi kids they don't know anything about that you know petro doesn't know anything about that gunji doesn't know anything about that they they they've they only know the jedi way and so i think that's sort of where the the jealousy and the frustration with Obi-Wan comes from. I think it's more of a frustration with Obi-Wan than a jealousy or even a disliking of him. And it's that frustration that kind of bubbles over. And as soon as Anakin embraces his anger, that frustration becomes a hatred. Uh, but, but Erica, how do you feel on that matter? Well, I feel like Anakin is constantly fighting an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm, I, I know that Qui-Gon believed in Anakin. Yeah. And I don't I don't know if Obi-Wan did. Maybe. I don't know if he did though. Because mm-hmm. you know, even at the beginning, Obi-Wan said he was too old. The council doesn't want him to be trained. Padme didn't believe that Qui-Gon could trust in him to win the pod race. The kids that Anakin uh had over to his place as he was getting his pod race ready were were so down on him. They said this is never going to run, you know. <laughs> um they they nobody nobody has been supportive of Anakin other than Qui-Gon and his mother. Everybody mm-hmm. else is so down on him. Um and I feel like I feel like maybe one of the reasons why Anakin is afraid of authority is because he he has he grew up as a slave, you know? I mean, yeah. 
he he had to deal with authority from the beginning and i think once he got his freedom he was ready to just be anakin skywalker you know and then all of a sudden now he's got another master and you know it's it's a whole different thing for him but i don't know if obi-wan ever truly believed that anakin was necessarily the chosen one and if so you know how does that work for anakin if his master doesn't believe in him and no the council doesn't believe in him then you're going to want to be a rebellious person, you know? So a good point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think basically, you know, Anakin was the chosen one that fell into the Jedi's lap and mm-hmm. they were too blind to see it. They were too stuck up in their own ways. And ultimately that is their failing. And that is what led to the fall of the Jedi. That's what led to Palpatine being able to take power. Because they weren't, they were blind, you know, whether that was the dark side of the force clouding everything or just their own dogmatic ways. They missed all the signs for all the good that could have happened, all the good they could have done. And well, don't forget, Dominic, he was, he's the chosen one from the perspective of Qui-Gon Jinn. That's not true. Not the perspective of the Jedi. The Jedi don't necessarily believe in it. And in fact, we can remember that conversation on a gunship in episode three where Yoda, Mace Windu, and Obi-Wan are talking about the assignment with Anakin being close to the Chancellor, and they're still questioning whether they think he's the Chosen One, even then, when it's coming towards the end of the war. And in a way, you can see why, because um, what exactly has he done that's brought balance to the Force? It hasn't necessarily come to fruition. On the other hand, they they never believed in it. And if they're never going to believe in it, then why is he going to believe in them? All it means is that Anakin becomes isolated. And to kind of link this back to this arc, um, he's isolated. And the only two people then that kind of bring him back in his mind, in Anakin's mind, to normality is Palpatine and Padme. Palpatine becomes the mentor, the Qui-Gon figure who he desperately wanted. Um, he becomes the confidant and Padme is... Um, kind of the family aspect. I mean, obviously it's a relationship, but it's kind of replaced the mother aspect that he has someone to care for and she cares for him. And in a way, that's who those two characters, at least in my perspective, they represent. Padme represents the mother and, well, <laughs> it's a little bit <laughs> odd, but um, yeah, in, in a You're way, really getting into some, and, then, some uh, and Palpatine is the mental figure who Qui-Gon Jim would have been. So Anakin does replace them, but he just not with the right people, to be honest. And I'm sure that he would have loved the mentor figure to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. But if, as you said, Dominic, just goes frustrated because um, if he doesn't, if Obi-Wan doesn't believe that Anakin's the chosen one, then why would Anakin believe in what his master has to say? Sure. Sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I, I think you're, you're definitely onto something there. You're definitely getting into some, uh, some very Freudian ideas. Um, so I, I, <laughs> I mean, you are. <laughs> the Oedipus co- uh, complex or, or however, however it's pronounced. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think you're onto something, but let's, let's, uh, let's move on from, from this and, and talk about some of the other aspects of this arc, uh, specifically, uh, Rush Clovis himself, because he goes through a bit of a, a, a character, uh, a character arc, not only in this, these episodes, but in the time since we last saw him in uh, Senate spy. Now I'll be, I'll be upfront about this. 
I did not think they should have they should have brought Rush Clovis back. I still don't think they should have brought Rush Clovis back. I, I feel it has a, a negative impact uh, upon the ending of Senate Spy, which I thought was a, a a very good ending. I thought it was a dark turn for Anakin. I thought it showed Anakin's dark side, um, and I think to bring him back slightly cheapens that um, because you know Anakin left him for dead, and well, he didn't actually die. He managed to get out of it. That being said, they brought him back. And I just have to deal with it. Uh, so in this, this ep- these episodes, we learn about his past. We see that he does truly want to do the right thing, but he kind of gets stuck. He gets caught in this game. Kieran, I'll throw this to you. Do you think Clovis did come out looking like a sympathetic character in these episodes? Or did he still come across as, as the, the slimy uh, scumbag separatist that he was in Senate Spy? Well, first of all, I don't often do this, but I'm actually going to disagree with you, Dominic. Ooh, um, all right. In in the sense that uh, Rush Clovis shouldn't have been brought back. Now, as I said to you at the beginning, I don't necessarily care for his character. But in terms of the purpose of what the character brings, I don't think it was fruitless or valueless. I actually think it was quite a nice tool to bring in to oh, no, I, I don't think it was... uh, explore Anakin Padme relationship because it's a character that we're familiar with. We're not having to reintroduce another so-called relationship um, that Padme had in the past. So, sorry, Dominic, you were going to jump in. Well, there. yeah, no, I, I understand why they did it. And I think I, I, I do think Clovis worked in that role. Um, I just think when you look at it going from Senate Spy to this, I, I, I feel like it didn't quite work with the way that – with the ending of Senate Spy. I feel like the ending of Senate Spy was – I loved the ending. I thought it was great. I thought the way Anakin just kind of abandons him there was a very dark turn, was a very Darth Vader-esque thing to do. And the fact that he made it out slightly cheapened it for me. That being said, I understand why they brought him back. And I, I do think he worked in the role that they, that he was intended for. Uh, but do do carry on, do carry on. Um, and and to be fair as well, I, just to quickly finish my little argument here, um, I don't. The, the arc itself, the clove, we call it the Clovis arc, but mm. it's not all about Clovis, and there are many other aspects. I mean, he he works in two ways because he has the allegiance to the separatists and the whole backstory with the banking plan, which is kind of what we're discussing here. It feeding into your question it, it does make him a, a sympathetic character um he's grown up with the moons um he was once servant to them but then he was adopted as a child um and has, has been part of a loving family so it's it's quite a nice story and obviously he had his ties with padme as well and we don't necessarily know how the relationship went but I, i'm sure it ran a lot more smoothly than padme and anakin's relationship ever has well not not that smooth smoothly they're not together well, anymore <laughs> well they're not but i i don't remember the the time when uh you know rush clovis force choked padme so you know that's, I think, that's true that is i think is he, he wins true. on that department he doesn't try and kill her but yeah there's not much between them i have to say that's a that's a really low bar for padme as like successful relationships did he try to kill me yes or no <laughs> shark mark the box yeah, yeah exactly. exactly precisely um so in short then i i would say that 
Rush Clovis, he, he is a sympathetic character when we learn about his backstory in this arc, and a lot more so than in Senate Spy, where we just see him as this kind of sleazebag, this old fling that Padme once had. But you know, it, it, they do explore his character, and it is interesting because um, it, equally it's interesting to discover about the moons because they're obviously a species that um, we see and we hear of, but we never genuinely examine in depth and we get to see Scipio and the workings of the banking clan and whilst that's not always you know the politics and behind the scenes of the war isn't always the most exciting I think it was handled in in an interesting way in this arc so yeah Rush Clovis for me if you're saying sympathetic character I'd, I'd tick that box um well, as I said, whether I want to see him come back again, um, maybe not that sympathetic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eric, where do you stand on, on, on Rush Clovis? Uh, Rush Clovis, it's, it's, for me, it wasn't like when I first saw him come onto the screen, I didn't get up and leave. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I, it's, it's not like I have pictures of him up in my room either. Um, so for me, it was just like, yeah, okay. Clovis is back. Um, you know, as far as being sympathetic, I, I do feel like uh, he is. I, f- I feel like the Republic, especially Padme, kind of put a label on him at first. She walked out of the uh, the room where uh, I guess he was supposed to be s- some kind of like representative of the banking clan or something mm. uh, for the Republic. And she kind of, when she first found that out, she left. Yeah. Um, you know, so she obviously didn't want anything to do with him at first. But then when she realized that, hey... You know, he's got some information that might help us, that might save the Republic, you know, so on and so forth. I think she kind of I, – I, first of all, I think Clovis was being genuine at that point. And mm-hmm. I feel like he got trapped in a in a web uh, with people who are much more powerful than him and smarter than him uh, t- in order to get him to do, you know, kind of things that the, the, the way that they want him to do things. Um, you know, and I think I think that kind of – screwed over Padme and screwed over the Republic and obviously got Anakin all in a tizzy. So, but I think for, for Clovis's purpose in this, these episodes, he did his job well. Yeah. You, you wonder, cause he did go from a villain to a hero and he definitely was trying to do the right thing in these episodes. Uh, but I think it's, it's, it's interesting the way he went for, you, you know, what happened to him in between that time. And, you know, we just spent a whole bunch of time talking about how Anakin was obsessed with Padme it almost seems that it was was Clovis's feelings for Padme that kind of shook him out of out of the 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 dark side for lack of a better term. I mean, he hadn't fallen to the dark side necessarily, but he definitely was doing bad things. He was aiding the separatists, he was helping them build uh helping them build up their war machine and and all that. And it was uh you know his his feelings for Padme um you know his rekindled uh, affection for her. That kind of brought shook him out of it, and you, you almost wonder if that was kind of like a wake up call. And you know, he does definitely go right to her. She is the the only one he will trust with this. It, it seems so. You almost wonder if he kind of had a bit of his own ex- obsession with her. Uh, just unlike Anakin, who was striving for more power, he was striving to show her that he knew how to do the right thing. It, it's it, you know, it, it's almost it's this weird sort of way where Padme just kind of either brings out the the best or the worst in people um i I don't mean that i mean anakin had anakin had his own issues and but it's it's interesting the way that 
th- these two characters were, are both sort of driven by their affection for her to to do these different uh, to do these different uh, to, to go about trying to change the galaxy, albeit for very different reasons and in very different ways. And you know, to see Clovis get caught up in that web when he was caught in in a game he didn't fully understand. And I think that brings us nicely to the to the final sort of point I want to make about this episode or or a point I want to discuss from this episode is and that is the uh the Palpatine aspect of it. He uh he definitely in these episodes we definitely see how Palpatine is able to manipulate everyone. And that's something that was never fully on display in the films it's it's kind of hinted at uh, they kind of beat around the bush on it again it's never fully um explained in the prequel trilogy and i i think again that's something that may have caused some confusion for some some people who who don't follow it quite as intently as we do you know we we understand that palpatine you know created the situation on Naboo, which got him into, uh, got him into the situation where he could run for chancellor. And then once he was chancellor, he created this false, uh, this false threat in the separatists, um, which got him the emergency powers and the emergency, the emergency powers eventually lead on to, uh, becoming emperor. And in these episodes, we really see how he goes about adding to his power, how he goes about getting those emergency powers. Because we know Obi-Wan says as much in episode three, that he's constantly getting more, more of these emergency powers. And I thought just the, the exploration of how he went about doing this, uh, I thought was just fascinating. And, and so Kieran, I'll just throw it to you. Just, just generally, what did you think of, of, of this? And wow, Palpatine really, this is one of those instances of Palpatine really showing his, uh, showing his true dark side manipulative ways. And yet nobody can catch on because he, he is so brilliant. I, I thought, that more than anything else in these episodes, uh, to me, is, is definitely the best, the best part about it. And it's one of the great things about this series is that it was able to kind of explore Palpatine in a way that w- there wasn't always time for in the films. Yeah, this was definitely a Palpatine-centered arc. And what I like about this story arc is it it really serves to almost almost be a fly on the wall where we can actually explore um, one of Palpatine's assignments in motion. I mean, this could serve almost as a microscopic case study for many other ploys and, and gambits which were conceived by Palpatine um, because it all, it all seems to stem from him and we get to see both Sidious and Palpatine uh, that both of both of those characters come into the, come into the fore really in this particular arc here. Um, you know, even at the beginning of this arc with Embo chasing down Padme and Anakin, it was Asidious who was hi- who hired the bounty hunter, and he, he wanted them to get the information. It's just the way he's able to work the situations is, I mean, he's so calculated, extremely cunning, and. Um, he, he always serves to be that character where he's always that one or two steps ahead of everybody else, um, and no one seems to catch on. Um, I mean, and also, if you, if you haven't actually seen episode three, you're you're 
a new generation of, of Star Wars fan and, you, and you're watching this, well, when you, when you <laughs> no, I, I know it sounds quite odd, but <laughs> hey, yeah, I, I haven't seen all the Star Wars movies, but I'm, I'm going to listen to a Star Wars podcast discussing the sixth episodes from the sixth season of a t- of the TV series that was on Cartoon yes, Network. Well, this point Netflix. isn't a representative of our audience, Dominic, because they know what I'm saying. But what I will say is that if you haven't seen the films for example then this could be quite groundbreaking because there are clear allusions here to who Sidious really is Um, and I'm not going to say my quote I want to save it for the actual quote section rather than ruining it at this stage but um, there is clear implications here or insinuations from uh, Darth Sidious about who he really is when he's talking about the transfer of financial power and at the end of this the, the main point of this whole all plan um and ploy by Sidious was to gain control of the banks and he did and that's just another piece of the puzzle which has been uh solved on his part um you know he's he's that one step closer to achieving this ultimate goal of becoming emperor um you know, the banks were part of the neutral zone, then they were part of, and, they, and then Rush Clovis held them, and, and now he's got them, so it's, what, well, in a way you kind of have to admire him, but, you know, also realise he is a, a Sith Lord and the most evil person in the galaxy, but he's a smart, he's a smart bloke. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Eric, um, with, with Palpatine in, in these episodes and, and showing the way he works, are, are, does this sort of reinforce for you the idea that he is the ultimate puppet master? You know, the way he, that he is able to, you know, seeing, what, what did you think of seeing that sort of in action, the way he would hire a bouncy hunter to seemingly try and kill someone when in reality it was more just to kind of chase them off the planet? Yeah, it's, it's actually really remarkable as you watch the Clone Wars, as you watch the movies, uh, it, it really is impeccable to analyze that because even in uh, Return of the Jedi, you know, uh, he, he says, uh, you know, he, he knows that Luke's going to come to Vader and mm-hmm. Vader's like, he's going to come to me. And Palpatine's like, I have foreseen it, you know, so he knows more than Anakin does. He's clouded the Jedi's vision. He, you know, Yoda doesn't know what's going on. Yoda's completely blinded to what's happening. Oh, and yeah. meanwhile, Palpatine's like, eh, I better get into my Palpatine Chancellor robes now. But wait, got to do a hologram, you know, switch into the <laughs> Imperial robe. And, you know, he, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows 100% exactly what he's doing. And he, you know, it, it's it's flawless. His plan is is essentially flawless. And it's it's great to see that unfold throughout the Clone Wars and the movies. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and what I really liked about this was again, you know, in the in the prequels, this is very strongly hinted at. It, it's there, but not you know not fully shown. We 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 kind of get a little taste of it when he's manipulating Jar Jar. And I think one of the <laughs> one of the you know I hate to say it, one of the weaknesses of the prequel trilogy is I I, I feel that it didn't quite fully explain the way Palpatine came to power. It was, it was left a little bit ambiguous. And I think arcs like this really show just how intricate a planet was and, and how, uh, how big a planet was. And it's something I would have, you know, hindsight being 2020, 
I, I would have liked to have seen more of it in episodes one to three. I still love the prequels. Don't get me wrong. Still love the prequels. They are definitely my Star Wars. Um, but this is one of those places where I, I feel like if, if we could have taken a little bit more time to, to explore this, then they would have benefited from that. Uh, but that, that's, that's everything that I wanted to bring up from this episode. Is there anything you guys would like to bring up before we, uh, before we move on? Yes, I would. Go just to quickly it. jump in. And it's linked on to Palpatine. And what fascinated me with Palpatine is the way that he's able to spin so many plates here. Whilst the predominant focus on this storyline from Palpatine's perspective seems to be the banks. He wants mm. to gain control of the banks. But there's always those allusions there to Anakin. And he has a couple of scenes. Uh, there's a couple of scenes featuring just Palpatine and Anakin. And he talks about a couple of things. Um, one in front of Anakin when he's talking with um, the Jedi, Padme and, and Clovis. He's, he says openly, I want, I want you, Padme, to work extremely closely with, with Clovis. <laughs> which, of course, is just kind of feeding in Anakin's insecurities almost um and then later in the arc he he talks to anakin about you know um how his private view of clovis doesn't match his public one and how he wants anakin to to kind of spy on clovis as well keep close watch of him um uh, i'll ask you both this question then what are the implications here for the palpatine anakin relationship what was the purpose of trying to get anakin to work so closely with or, or to keep close eye on Clovis and, and and Padme to work so closely with with Clovis. Well, I, I think we see that in the second episode when Anakin just loses his mind. He embraces his hatred, his anger. He basically taps into the dark side when he's when he's fighting fighting quote unquote Clovis there. And I, I think that's what Palpatine wants. Palpatine's you know, for as much as you're right, he is kind of spinning plates here. You know, he wants control of the banks so he can do things like, I don't know, pay for a Death Star without anybody noticing. Um, but also he wants he's, – he's also always in the back of his mind had the idea that he wants to get Anakin to turn to the dark side. We saw that from as far back as episode one. You know, we will watch Yokoria with great interest. He's He's always thought that. And so I think everything he does uh, when Anakin is around is – to begin to either separate Anakin from the Jedi or to put Anakin in places where he could embrace his darker nature. And I think this is another example of that. Uh, But Eric, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I would agree. I think Palpatine uh, just is in love with power. I think he wants power. And, you know, we see in episode three, uh, he wants Anakin to kill Dooku. Anakin's obviously superior at that point, and that's attractive to Palpatine, you know? Um, and he says, soon I will have a new apprentice, one far younger and more powerful. He says that to Grievous. He just wants power. And he knows that that means he needs Anakin. And I think that um, he's going to do whatever he can. He'll say whatever he needs to say to get Anakin to realize that he needs to be following Palpatine. Uh, you know, whether it's at the opera scene in episode three, uh, if it's in this arc with, with Clovis, you know, trying to get Anakin's hatred to be fueled. I think that's all that Palpatine really needs to do, you know, to gain power. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right there. So unless, uh, unless you have another point, Karen, I think we should move on to, uh, 
favorite quotes and or moments from the arc? Absolutely. I've, I have no more points. I'll jump <laughs> in now. All right. So now, now is the time when we like to shine the spotlight on the, the creative team behind the show, whether it's the writers, the music, the directors, the actors, uh, and just, uh, share either a favorite quote from the arc or if there's a favorite moment, a music cue, a shot that you really liked. Uh, this is the time to single it out. So Kieran, uh, I'll throw it over to you first. Do you have a favorite quote or moment from? the Clovis arc. I alluded to it earlier, Dominic and Eric, and it was of course the moment in the third episode when Dooku is departing ways from Scipio and he is talking with Sidious via hologram and, and Sidious makes this nice allusion to who he really is when he says, <laughs> and because of this treachery, the banks will be firmly placed under the control of the Supreme Chancellor does a little cackle as all villains do <laughs> so um, yeah i really did like that line i think particularly the added significance of um watching the films you know that but if you haven't watched the films could be seen as a bit of a reveal yeah absolutely absolutely uh eric do you have a favorite quote or moment from these episodes um yeah i think for me um it's it's really hard to pick one moment. Sure. I think I'm going to have to like, for example, from the first, the first episode of the arc, I really like watching Embo, uh, basically make his hat a snowboard. Yes. I think that's awesome. <laughs> that's really cool. Especially cause I love Embo. Cad Bane and Embo. I think those are great characters. I think the, the Clone Wars team did a great job with those two. Um, I really enjoy the scene where Anakin is just pummeling Clovis just yes. as an Anakin fan. I just, I love that. <laughs> Um, and then I also, I really like, uh, Commander Thorne, um, from the final episode of the arc. Uh, and I don't know if you guys, you probably guys know this already, but, uh, Thorne was designed by Dave Filoni and a lot of the, the Clone Wars team after Thor, uh, yeah. the, the superhero from Marvel. And I love finding out stuff like that. Uh, same thing with Commander Doom uh, at the very beginning of this season as well. Um, you know, I love how they're bringing kind of like the Marvel Avengers stuff very subtly into Clone Wars. I think they, they do a good job with that. And, and these episodes were conceived pre Disney sales. So it just, yeah. the, the force works in mysterious ways that we were able to get that in there. And, and for me, uh, you, I think you mentioned this earlier on, Kieran, but I just want to take one final uh, moment to acknowledge and appreciate the performances by Mr. Ian Abercrombie. And I actually had chosen the same quote as you had, had Kieran. Uh, so I'm just going to, to, to do the entire arc and, and, and the subtleties and the wonderful nature of his performance. Uh, you know, I still remember when we did lose him back in, in, in 2011 and, and sort of that sense of, you know, there were only so many episodes with him left. And, you know, we, the episode, we thought we had seen the end of it or the end of him on the show when the Darth Maul episodes aired back in season five. Uh, but instead it was a nice little surprise for the lost missions for the final run of star Wars, the clone wars that we managed to get a few more episodes, a few more moments uh, with Ian Abercrombie as, as, as uh, Supreme chancellor Palpatine and Darth Sidious. So uh, of course, rest in peace, Mr. Abercrombie. And thank you for your contributions to the clone wars. So that is going to wrap things up for us here this week on the Clone Wars Strikes Back. 
what a, what a great discussion. It was really good to get into Anakin and Padme. You know, that's that's one of those things. It's, it's often brought up uh, about the Star Wars saga. Is, you know, why is Anakin and Padme's relationship so weird? And it was good to really dissect it. And I think these episodes really showed, uh, gave us a, a good glimpse into what their life is actually like. So before we before we go, it's time for final thoughts and score out of ten. So Eric, since you are the guest, I will throw this to you first. What are your final thoughts on the Clovis arc? And if you had to give it a score out of ten, what would you give it? Oh man. Uh, well, first of all, I'll probably give this about a about a six and a half between a six and a seven out of ten. Uh, you know, it wasn't my favorite, but I do think they were above average episodes. Um, and. I, you know, my final thoughts, I want more Embo. I hope yes. we see more Embo in, uh, in Rebels. <laughs> He's still out there. He's still out there. And didn't, didn't we see him graffitied on some of Sabine's yep. stuff? Yeah. So yep. she's, mm-hmm. she seems that she may have had a run in with him. That would be, that would make for an interesting, interesting, uh, interesting episode of Rebels. Uh, Kieran, how, how about you? Final thoughts and score out of 10. Final thoughts of the Clovis arc. Goodbye, Clovis, forever. We'll probably never, ever see this character again. And, and to be honest, I'm quite glad. <laughs> but um, that's not to necessarily cheapen the rest of this arc, because on a serious note, the the arc was fantastic. And it wasn't the best. It, it's not going to be in the top ten arcs of all-time Clone Wars history, but it, it held a lot of significance, and there's a lot of value to this arc whether it was Palpatine's machinations as he tried to accumulate more power, uh, whether it was concentrating on the actual Anakin and Padme relationship and the friction between those two characters, um, as well as Anakin's fall to the dark side. Um, And on top of that, we get to learn more about politics um, and banking and uh, regulation. So uh, for those types of people who like that stuff, then this is right up your street. Um, but I, what I do like about the politics aspect is that I think it was handled in a way which was far more interesting and compelling for the average viewer. Uh, you're not being completely subsumed into corruption on Mandalore with poison tea and all of that interesting, not really interesting stuff. <laughs> but um, I would say this was a fantastic arc and I will give this a score of... Seven and a half out of ten. Seven and a half. So over to you, Dominic, for your final thoughts. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. This this will this is not one of the great Clone Wars arcs, but it's certainly up there in the good Clone Wars arcs. Uh, I really do appreciate the way this arc took the time to explore aspects of the pre- prequel trilogy that uh, didn't necessarily fully get their due. Uh, on screen in episodes one to three, and specifically the Anakin and Padme relationship. And of course, seeing how Palpatine was able to manipulate everything and everyone to get what he wants out of, well, out of the war. And as we know from episode three, he got it. So I, I will give this, these episodes, I'll go right in between you guys. I'll give these episodes just a, a solid seven out of 10. So that will wrap things up for us here. Uh, we'll be back, or Kieran and I will be back next week discussing the Jar Jar duology from season six. Jar Jar and Mace. Oh boy. The, the continuing adventures of Jar Jar Binks and Mace Windu. So you definitely <laughs> do not want to miss, miss that. 
Eric. Who would have thought? Yeah, <laughs> who would have thought it, Dominic? Yeah, who would who to thunk Jar Jar and Mace? Uh, but but Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where uh, once again, just let people know where they can find uh, Twin Suns Outpost and of course Twin Suns Transmissions. Yeah, so uh, if you want to check us out, www.twinsonsoutpost.com. We can, uh, we've got a gallery on there full of artwork. We've got blogs on there, and we've also got our own podcast, Twin Sons Transmission. Yeah, and that's uh, that is live on what? When is that one live? I can never remember. Yeah, that. Yep, that's Wednesdays. Wednesdays. So you definitely do not want to miss that. And then you can find those those on on iTunes as well. Yep, they are on iTunes. You can find them on iTunes or you can just download it directly from our site. Perfect, perfect. So you definitely want to check that out. Uh, in in the meantime, if, for, if you're looking for other things to check out, you can check out my other podcast, the Star Wars Underworld podcast. Uh, this week coming up, we'll be recapping D23. I was there. I'll tell you all about everything I saw. And, of course, we'll be discussing all the big news like Star Wars Land. Finally, it's happening. Uh, at the Disney parks, as well as what we learned about Episode Seven, Episode Nine, and Rogue One, plus all kinds of other fun stuff. So that's recorded live Thursday nights uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern on Channel 1138.com, uh, and then released the following Friday on iTunes, or the following day, the Friday on iTunes. And uh, speaking of iTunes, you, you can subscribe over there to the Star Wars Underworld podcast feed. That's where you'll get. That show and this show, that's right, two shows for the price of one, and that price is absolutely free. Uh, if you're into Game of Thrones, you can check out uh, the podcast that Kieran and I do discussing Game of Thrones. It's called The Watchers of Westeros. Search for it on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, and the likes. Uh, and that's where you can, uh, you can go back and relive Season 5 with us, and uh, we'll be bringing that show back in the fall to, to bridge the gap between Season 5 and 6. Uh, don't forget to... Follow us on Twitter. You can follow the show at TCW Strikes Back. You can follow me personally at DominicJ25. You can follow Kieran at CDuggan6. And like the page on Facebook. Just search for the Clone Wars Strikes Back. If you want to keep a little Clone Wars in your newsfeed, that is the page to like. And between shows, be sure to hit, keep hitting up StarWarsUnderworld.com for all the latest breaking Star Wars news, including Episode 7, Episode 8, Episode 9, Rogue One, Rebels, Clone Wars Legacy content, Battlefront, and so much more. Thank you everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with the Jar Jar Binks Mace Windu duology. Until then, may the force be with you. It's a wrap.